Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. Today, joining me on the show is pastor, businesswoman, best-selling author, and media personality, Sarah Jakes Roberts. She just recently released her new book, Woman Evolve, Break Up With Your Fears and Revolutionize Your Life. And I couldn't be happier to chat with her. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. And congrats on your book. Writing a book is no small feat. So I hope that you've, you know, congratulated yourself and taken a deep (laughs) breath now that it's finished. (laughs) I have. I've taken a deep breath and I'm just like reminding myself to be present and really experience this. And doing that has made me like low key emotional, but I'm enjoying it. Good. Well, great. I'm excited to chat about the book, but I, I want to start by talking about your personal faith journey and your trajectory because, you know, you grew up as a preacher's kid. You're now married to a pastor and you both co-lead a successful ministry together. So how did your upbringing influence your path? And did you feel like going into ministry was what God called you to do from the beginning? Or was it something that you kind of grew into? Because I fully believe that our paths can change and God can lead us in many different directions. But what specifically led you into ministry? You know, I, to your point, have always been around ministry. And I think if we're talking about what God was calling me to do all along, I think that ministry was in the cards. He just didn't tell me that that's what he was calling me to do. So God was calling me. I was picking up the phone somewhere else, honey. I was sending it to voicemail. I was like, (laughs) I don't know who you're talking to. Um, It was not clear to me that God was calling me. Part of it is because, you know, growing up in church, like if you're, especially I think when you're in PK, people want to know, do you sing? Do you play an instrument? okay, well, can you shout on beat? Can you clap on beat? And I couldn't do any of those things. And um, I just didn't have that thing. My sister's like this incredible prayer warrior. My Mm -hmm. prayers are a little bit more soft and like, you know, sweet baby Jesus, here I am. And so I just didn't feel like I had that thing. And then certainly when I got pregnant as a teenager, I was like, okay, so I'm definitely not doing anything in ministry. And I was fine with that. I really felt like my track would be more corporate, started going Mm -hmm. to school to uh, focus on the counting, could not pass this statistics class. And from there, I think I just tried to to pick up the pieces of my life. And in the process of doing that, I had, you know, a come to Jesus moment in which I was like, you know, visiting the CPS office after having this, you know, terrible experience and asking myself, like, how long are you going to keep trying to prove that you're not the girl who got pregnant? Mm. Because that is who you are. And if you're not going to embrace that part of your journey, then you're not going to be able to move on from here. And that's when I really started my started seeing my life evolve and then invited other people to be a part of that journey and then realized, OK, this is this is ministry. This is helping people. And um, that's kind of my my journey to ministry. That's such a powerful statement because I think so many people try to conceal their past and yeah. not let it be a part of the journey, but it's really what has helped shape you and move you forward. So I think you just using that as a part of your story probably has helped so many people. I love hearing that. I got chills when you said that. <laughs> that's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. I do think that our natural, you know, our natural reaction to any kind of pain and trauma is to distance ourselves from it. Science proves this, right? And yet what I have learned is that in the distancing that we're still haunted by it. It's not like distancing, it erases it. And so I had to come to a place where I didn't cringe when I heard my own story. This is my truth. This is a part of my life. And if I'm cringing when I hear me, then how can I love me? How can I receive me? How can I believe anything is possible for me? And that is that deeper conversation about self-love that is hard, but necessary. 
Absolutely. I want to backtrack a little bit because I know you mentioned that you felt like you didn't have those specific gifts growing up. Are there any other kind of myths about being a preacher's kid that you've kind of had to combat throughout your life? Um, That was definitely one of them, just like any kind of ministry talent, you know, I don't, I was very much so into the culture. So like, <laughs> I just had this thing on my podcast. We did a DMX tribute episode and I was giving my best DMX impressions. <laughs> so I guess also, you know, one of the myths about PKs is that like, we don't understand what's like happening in the world or that we have on our long skirts all of the time. And we're not um, a part of what's relevant mm-hmm. where there are some of us who are very much so aware of what's happening in our world and culture mm-hmm. And um, are certainly consuming it just like any other kid would be doing. I, I know plenty of preachers' kids and that have had those similar experiences. So I'm always <laughs> curious, you know, what what people's upbringing was like being a preachers' kid. I I'm not a preachers' kid, but I did grow up in the church, and I'm currently a worship leader at my church as hey. well. And uh, one of the things I have noticed, and I would love to get your view on this, is how society kind of is viewing. Christianity and religion as a whole these days. And I feel like I've noticed a lot more people walking away from the church as a whole. And I always try to tell people like, don't focus on the people surround you. It's about your personal relationship with God. And I would say that if I didn't have my own relationship with God or know, you know, the teachings of Jesus, I probably would have walked away from the church a long time ago, just because of the negativity that you can be surrounded by. So how have you managed to navigate that or try to keep people close in their relationships with God because of what happens in society or how they're treated in churches? Girl, that's like such a layered question. Um, we could spend the whole podcast right. talking about that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, I get it. I totally get it. Um, I've grown up non-denominational. My husband has a non-denominational community. And so there are even some restrictions that exist in some denominations that I haven't even experienced. So mm-hmm. I'm going to only speak from my experience. Like I never had to deal with women couldn't stand in the pulpit. There are just certain things I didn't experience. And so I have a different perspective, but still based on that perspective, I will say that I think that transparency and authenticity was something that former generations didn't know how to balance Mm. because I want you to do what I'm saying, but I can't always reveal that I'm struggling to do what I say as well. And I think that what we have seen begin to emerge, even though some of the traditional places of worship, we are seeing a decline. I do think that what we are seeing is that there is an increase in places where there is authenticity, where they say, listen, you come as you are. My job is to get you to God. You and the Holy Spirit can figure out what needs to happen from here. And I think the more that we see leaders removing the pressure off of themselves to be Jesus instead of leading people to Jesus, that we may begin to see revival. That's my prayer is Mm. that we will see revival. And I think revival has to start with us. I think for those of us who are still committed to church and building what God is doing in the earth, that we can't become jaded ourselves. So what Whatever healing, sometimes distancing, sometimes sitting in the back instead of being on the stage, whatever is necessary for us to do that, we have to be willing to do it so that we don't add to the poison that's already there. 
I think that's a powerful statement that you need to focus on specifically in your position and your husband's position, leading people to Jesus and not trying to be Jesus, because there is this pressure. And I feel like when you go into ministry, you yourself do feel like you have to be this perfect person. You have to be this vessel of God and you're not allowed to struggle or think or question anything. So I love that that's kind of the direction that you've taken and it's enlightening as well because you're human, you know, and I think that people tend to forget that about pastors that in ministers in general, that they are human and they're going to have human struggles. And you know what I've learned in doing life that way, doing ministry that way is like, sometimes I'll have moments, like maybe we're on tour and like, I'm posting about the different cities and every now and then I'll kind of like shake up my timeline and I'll post a picture of me as a young girl with my child. I'll post, go on live and talk about how I'm struggling and stretching myself in order to step into what God is calling me to do. Because sometimes if you're only seeing a person's highlight moments and moments where they're doing well, and we aren't intentional about revealing the areas where we are struggling. And I'm not talking about putting every struggle out there because you do have to have privacy and you have to make sure that you're navigating something well before you expose it. But to the extent that it's safe to invite someone in on your process is important because we isolate people when we don't do that. How do you manage to navigate um a boundary with your private life and your ministry, because you want to give enough of yourself where you are vulnerable and you do feel relatable in that sense, but also you don't want to be just throwing all your personal (laughs) business out there. So how do you manage to to, to balance Uh, that? So um, I can tell when I'm starting to get like, I'm posting a lot of things that feel really me centered or strength centered. And I try to then post something that is um, more of a display of my vulnerability and weakness. And when I choose those moments, I try to choose scabs, not wounds, right? So wounds are like someone just cut me and I'm wide open. A scab is like, this is where it happened and and it's beginning to get a new layer of skin there. But I just want to show you that if you touch X, Y, and Z, it hurts. Even those vulnerable moments aren't for the sake of people telling me that I'm doing well. Those Vulnerable, vulnerable moments are meant to ultimately point back to Jesus's strength showing up in me. And I think that when we make sure we make that pivot, even when sharing that that's another way, if we haven't found the pivot, we can't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to have made the turn in which you're able to say, this is my weakness, but this is his strength showing up strong in me. And then we're able to help people even when we display our struggles. That's beautiful. So let's talk about Women Evolve. Why did you think this was the right time to write this in, in what the content of the book is about? What Did anything specific happen in your life? where you're like, you know, I think that the next book that I write needs to be about this. Oh, I will tell you, this is okay. I love this story because, okay, so I started sharing my story about having my child and coming to a place of receiving God's love and allowing God's love to change my identity. And people were inviting me to speak at like so many different conferences. And I was telling my story from the pregnancy to to my strip club, waitress into divorce. I was telling the whole story, right? And it just kind of became routine and people were like, you should do this and you should do that. But I didn't have anything besides my story. And I didn't necessarily want to build a ministry about me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I got this revelation about Eve. Um, I was at this women's conference and they had on these shirts and it said, Sarah, Mary, Esther, Ruth, squad goals, like all of these women of faith. And I'm a little petty. And I was like, I know why they don't have Eve on that shirt. Like in my head, having a good hee hee before I was supposed to speak. And God was like, come here, let me holler at you. Like we can't drag Eve anymore. And I was like, I'm gonna call you back. I'm gonna preach this message. Then I called him back when I 
I got to the hotel and I was like, God, what is it about Eve that I missed? And it just like came alive for me that Eve has been penalized for knowing better, but not doing better. Mm. But God gave her recovery and redemption. And we're not telling that part of the story. And women need to understand that there is another part of not just Eve's story, but another part of their story. And no matter how stuck you are, no matter how many traumas you have experienced, there is an opportunity for you to evolve and revolutionize your life towards what God has in mind for you. And Mm. I said, this, I can build my life on. This, I could write books about. I can tour about. I can do conferences about because I don't want any woman to be left behind from this revelation. And it's it's funny because as you said, Eva is constantly penalized. She's always the one that people blame (laughs) for absolutely everything. Nobody drags Adam. We drag Eve. We're like, sis, you gave him the fruit though. Why weren't you minding your business? (laughs) But maybe she did it out of love. You never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so when people read your book, what is the main message that you want people to come away with? I mean, you just shared a lot, but if there's one specific thing that you're like, when you close on that last page, this is what I want you to feel and what I want you to take away from reading it. My prayer is that women will understand that you don't have to be totally one thing that you can be this incredible smorgasbord of, um, I close the book like this, of sweet and spicy, confident here, still working to myself through something on this side. Because I think a lot of times we feel like if I'm not all the way there, then I'm nowhere. And yet it's in this beautiful gray in which we get to add color from God's grace and God's power. And so that's the revolution. It's coming Mm. to a place where you're not trying to fit perfectly into one beautiful little space, but instead to have dominion over every space you're in. Even in my weakness, I'm strong. Even in my Mm. strength, I'm still shining. And I want women to come to that place of confidence and knowing that wherever God is, they have the ability to dwell if they're willing to do the work. So this falls really strongly in something I'm very passionate about, just into women empowerment and female empowerment. And I know when we get into some of those movements, you know, you can talk about feminism, all of that. There are some issues, I would say, with intersectionality. So do you yeah. feel like your book is more geared towards women of color or is it truly for all women? I feel like it's truly for all women. Now, I am a woman of color. So there are things that I say in the book that if you are not a woman of color, you may need a dictionary for it. It's so funny. My editor was a white woman. And I think I said something like Jesus wasn't a punk. And she was like, unfamiliar. What does this mean? I'm not sure. And I'm like, girl, just leave it there. It's fine. <laughs> right. You're like, this is you my know, truth. Because, this is how I speak. Yeah, yeah, this is how we speak, you know, yeah. and I just trust that it's going to translate. Um, I do believe it's for all women. I have to tell you, uh, my community is mostly women of color with Woman Evolve. And yet I see so many women from different brown, uh, from different backgrounds, from brown women to white girls to Asian women coming to be a part of the community. And I think that's a testament to the anointing transcending everything. But certainly at my core, um, you know, I am a woman of color and I believe that that shows up in everything that I do. And so because as I've gotten older, I would say that being surrounded by powerful women of color that are, you know, God-fearing, God-loving has been very important for me. And has that been a personal choice of yours that you wanted your circle to be around women of color? Huh. That's a great question. Um, I grew up seeing <laughs> powerful women of color. The person who saved my father was a church mother, uh, this mm. old black church mother. He had, he had backslidden and she came and got him out of 
some juke joint he was at and was telling him that he needed to come back. So I think I've always been around women of color. When I started speaking more, I got invited to more white spaces and I wanted to be intentional about surrounding myself with those types of women in leadership as well because I was curious to some misnomers that I had because I and I said this at a women's conference like for I grew up thinking that like white girls didn't have any problems I don't know why but that was just like a part I was like y'all had no issues I don't I don't understand what y'all struggle is okay you don't tie your hair up at night I don't you know what I mean your uh. ancestors seem to be doing all right I just didn't <laughs> see what your struggle was <laughs> but Sharing my story helped me to see that some of those same topics of shame and fear and anxiety and still wanting to believe in yourself transcended no matter what room I was in, whether it was mostly Black women or mostly white women. And I realized at our core, we're all striving for the same thing. We just don't always communicate it the same way, nor do we always understand one another's process. And do you think that that's why there is such an issue with intersectionality, you know, with women of color being included in some of these movements, because maybe they just think because of our skin tone that our struggles might be different without actually looking at the similarities? Oh, girl. Okay. So I think that there's a lot of reasons. I think that um, (laughs) there are so many reasons. I think that I think it's misunderstanding sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think it's fear a lot of times. Um, we, we don't understand your, your language or your culture and can you kind of make it fit more like what we're used to. So there's not really a lot of room for inclusivity, only diversity. And by diversity, we mean be a different color, but show up in the same way that we're used to. And so, um, I think that the more that we see faith leaders, specifically white faith leaders make space for our unique offerings and anointing that the more we'll see our congregations begin to change as well. But um, I don't know that it's intentional, but it's definitely something that as we shed a light on it, I think specifically even in this last year that we're going to see some shifts begin to happen. Yeah, I I read a statistic, I I think it was a couple months ago that said, you know, social justice issues in general um, are more likely to be preached about from black centered churches and pulpits than they are white centered, which actually should be reversed because, you know, as we know, (laughs) there's more power, (laughs) unfortunately, with the the white centered pulpits to make a change and to make a difference. Well, not just power, I mean, I think influence in general. So when we talk about, you know, police officers, or we're talking about inherent racism, where do these people go to church? They're not coming to our churches. Who is influencing them week in and week out? Who are their aunts? Who are their uncles? Who are their nieces and their nephews? At some point, they're sitting within these congregations that we don't always have access to. And so I think it is important. I will say after the murder of George Floyd, I saw more more faith leaders than I have ever seen. finally say, okay, what is it that you all have been saying? And we had a decision to make as Black people to say, no, I've been saying it. I'm not going to repeat myself. You should have heard me go back and look for it. But someone had to be willing to say, come here, let me talk to you um, because this is important to us. And I think we need both people. I I think we need groups of us who are completely fed up because I think it helps to intensify and amplify the voices of the people who are willing to be bridges. But I'm praying that we continue to see that same passion, Mm -hmm. willingness to learn and to be taught, translate even as we get further and further away from the murder, that that sense of urgency needs to remain the same. And how do you, as a faith leader, 
you know, grapple with your faith when things like this happen, because I know it's very easy to want to blame God for, you know, a lot of people like, well, why did this happen? You know, is God not seeing this happening? So how do you personally, and just as someone that's leading a congregation, reconcile with that? Because as a Christian, you know, it's really easy to not understand why injustice happens. And you're asking, you know, God, where are you in this situation? What are you going to do about this situation? And I know that a lot of people lose faith when things like this happen. So for you personally, how have you managed to stay strong in your faith in the face of injustice? You know, um, first of all, this is what happened when sin entered the world. You know, Mm. like we're jokingly Mm. talking about Eve, but at the end of the day, like she ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think Mm. about that for a minute. Mm. I break this down in the book, the tree of the knowledge. That means that God didn't want us to have the knowledge of good or evil. And yet when she ate from this fruit, this became our reality. So now we have this knowledge of good and evil. And he knew that it was going to be detrimental. More specifically, he said, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die Mm -hmm. because the knowledge of good and evil causes something in us to die. And yet in Genesis 3 and 15, there is a promise of a redemption coming through Jesus, which is an opportunity for us to reverse the curse. And so I say all of that to say, I know it's a long answer that I don't believe that it's God's desire. So I don't place the blame on God. For sure. Instead, I ask God, how can I respond to this? How do I show up um, in this moment? And as a leader in particular, I try to avoid this idea of just because we're following God means everything's going to go beautifully and perfectly and we won't have any issues. Then we have a real devil to fight. We have a real evil that yes. is in our world. And we can sit back and say, oh, how evil. Or we could sit up and say, I am heaven on earth. And until he sweeps me up from out of here, hell is going to have to deal with the fact that I'm here. So what am I going to do to make sure that these things don't happen on my watch? And that is becoming an active participant in building the kingdom of God. I love that. So you mentioned earlier that you personally never had to deal with the perception that, you know, there can't be women pastors, there can't be women, you know, teaching the gospel. And there are still plenty of people that operate off of that kind of antiquated ideal and theology. So how do you deal with that? And have you ever gotten any pushback from people that may still believe that you shouldn't be in in the pulpit? Oh, yeah, girl. I get pushed back all of the time. I want to read this scripture to you, though, because um, I was looking at it and I shared it with my husband and it was kind of more casual. But then um, I was obviously reading it recently. We had Resurrection Sunday and I was just Mm -hmm. rereading about the life of Jesus. And I was sharing uh, with a friend of mine that when Jesus is resurrected and he has this encounter with uh, the women who had gone to the tomb in Mm -hmm. Matthew 28 and 10, he said, go and tell my brother and that word tell. This is Matthew 28 and 10. That word tell, if you look it up in the Greek, it literally means declare, Mm. preach. And then if you look it down even further, it says messenger or pastor. Hmm. So what gives me peace in the moments where people are like, yo, you shouldn't be up there, or this goes against what I believe is I go back to what Jesus said, the first woman to carry the good news. We thought it was the good news, but then he got on the cross and we weren't for sure that it was the good news. The first person to ever declare the gospel that the kingdom of heaven is not just at hand, but death has lost its sting were women. Mm. And I believe that if Jesus were willing to use women, then who are we to allow our tradition, our religious thoughts or beliefs to now thousands of 
of years later, undo what Jesus did the moment he was resurrected. Amen. I mean, yeah, I feel like I always look back and I'm like, Jesus was surrounded by powerful women, yes, powerful, smart, educated women that loved him and wanted to share what he was doing. So I don't see why that should stop in 2021 or ever really. So I, I love that. What was the scripture? Uh, that you Matthew used? 28 and 10. So if you have a concordance, Matthew 28 and 10, it says, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brethren, look at that word, tell, study it down. And you'll mm. see literally pastor is one of the words that ends up deriving from that word tell. So Jesus gave a commandment to those women go and pastor my brethren. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I actually just had, cause I get into Twitter arguments often oh, yes. and I know I need to stop, but <laughs> God's even That's like, Eve, I'm about that to. That is Eve behavior. That's no one better not doing better. Stop even. <laughs> I know, but God, sometimes he's like, Melinda, you need to get off the social media. Just stop it. You know what I mean? But I just had this conversation with, with someone about when pastors and I even, I think I just learned about Phoebe and I was like, she was a deacon, right? Am, yeah. am I right? And yeah. And I'm like, isn't a deacon a teacher of the gospel? Like, how are we still having this conversation? So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm fueling your Twitter debate. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> no, I backed away. I backed away. It was a couple of days okay. ago. I moved on. <laughs> I'm not going to resurrect I it. Back. I got, okay, okay. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. So one of the things that um, I do love about the description of your book, and I cannot wait to dive into, is that your failures should never be your focus. That's very difficult to come by. And I think also when when people fail, it, it takes a toll on their mental health. So personally, I want to ask you, how have you managed to, it, with your journey, keep your mental health in check and your relationship with Christ? Oh, let me tell you, um, I have lived enough to realize that I am far beyond what I imagined for my life. Mm. Um and when you begin to experience what you never imagined for your life, I am able to have a healthy separation between, okay, now I need this because mm. I'm already standing in what I never imagined. And so to get to this place that God already forecasted and foreknew and then make a demand on what I was never supposed to have access to for me feels a little greedy. Instead, my relationship with Christ comes about by saying, if it's supposed to be in my life, teach me how to receive it. If it's not supposed to be in my life, teach me how to let it go. Um, even with this book, you know, we've been talking about this book and sharing this book. And from uh, just a more publisher back end standpoint, people want it to hit certain lists, right? And that's how they gauge whether or not it's successful. But that's not how I gauge whether or not it's successful. For me, the fact that I am even writing a book yeah. is success. The fact that the words came is success. So one person has already read this book it's already successful in maintaining true to that core part of who I am and it takes practice and sometimes I have to rein my mind in and not start going down this rabbit trail of is it going to do this and how many numbers do we have there and remind myself that the peace and stillness that brought me to here was just being thankful that I was no longer there and I think what resonates with me the most about what you just said is just what's meant to be mine will be mine. So I love that that is the message that you are putting out with with this because, you know, we can get focused on those numbers. We can get focused on, you know, the overall impact. But as you said, if one person is reading it, then it's a success. And I mentioned earlier that you co-lead a ministry with your husband. So I would love to know just how you have managed to, how you both have managed to navigate 
working together, leading a ministry together, and not allowing it to necessarily affect your relationship, but also just how you've managed to continue to make your relationship strong while leading other people. Because, you know, even at the end of the day, you're still working with your husband. So (laughs) how has that been and, and how does your relationship stay intact? You know, my husband is right here, right now, because we do life together. I love that. And when we first got married, I was basically, I had basically been single. Even though I was in a relationship before and I was married before, I still made all of the decisions on my own. Like I did not have to consult anyone before doing anything because the just wisdom wasn't there and I could just kind of do what I wanted to. And it wasn't until I got someone who could really add value to my life Mm -hmm. that I recognized that part of having someone who adds value means that you have to make room for their value to be included into your words. Right. Right. And so one of the things that I've had to balance and understand and not just tolerate, but come to appreciate is his knowledge and wisdom. He is well versed in areas I have no idea about. And I can't be so high off of what I know that I miss the opportunity to become better. So there's a humility that comes into play. And I have room to speak as well because it's the same thing as vice versa. When he, I have knowledge and wisdom that he may not have in certain areas of his life. And he makes room for me to share that. So it's this beautiful dance, like like salsa. It's this beautiful dance that we've learned um, to do in different seasons of our marriage. That is beautiful. Beautiful. And I love that you're both leading together and, uh, the community that you've created in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I know many people that attend your church and mm-hmm. just go in ready to be filled and they leave truly fulfilled. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the work that you both are doing. And, um, I'm very excited for people to read your book. So let them know where they can get it and where they can also follow you. A Woman Evolve is available wherever books are sold, Target, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And I am on all of the socials at Sarah Jakes Roberts. Wonderful. Sarah, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And make sure you follow her and get her new book. And I promise you will be blessed. I haven't even read it yet. And I was just blessed from this conversation. So I'm excited oh, to read on. it. <laughs> I'm very Thank excited. You. Thank of you for course. this opportunity. Take Absolutely. care of yourself. Take care. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.